welcome to the Ghosties Podcast. I'm Christina, a psychic medium. And I'm Missy, a medium-ish. We are besties who look for ghosties. Join us as we talk all things paranormal, go on the occasional investigation, and receive messages from spirit and our spirit guides along the way. This is Ghosties. (laughs) There we go. Here we are. We're here. Hello. We're recording separately today because my kids have had a cold this week. Not the Rona, not the flu. Yeah. Negative test, but, you know, here we are recording separately just to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. This is no fun. I'm hoping they'll start feeling better soon. I mean, they're like, they seem on the up and up. It's just, you know. That runny nose with kids, it just never goes away. Kids always have, like, a disgusting runny nose. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. Ugh. Well, we're talking about Hellier Part 2 today. Yeah. Um, Am I breaking up? No, you sound good. Okay. Yeah, so far. Just making sure. Do you realize that there's less than three weeks till, or there's, like, three weeks until Christmas? I know. I'm just not after our tree like experienced its great fall earlier this week. <laughs> Multiple times. <sighs> it, it really sucked the Christmas spirit right out of me. <laughs> I bet. I, I I'm not in the Christmas spirit. Nothing has happened. I keep trying to listen to like Christmas music and watch Christmas movies and I still am not there. I yeah, it's the same for us. Like we've been turning on Christmas music at night, like while we're eating dinner, or we'll watch a Christmas movie off of Netflix or something, and it is just I don't know. If our tree hadn't fallen, <laughs> I think I would feel different, but yeah. But I think I finally figured out what I'm getting you for Christmas. Ooh. After speaking with one of your relatives. Uh what? What? Excuse me? What? I tell you who it wasn't. It wasn't Amanda because she didn't answer my Instagram message. So, Amanda, if you're listening, I'm sorry you hate me. <laughs> I had to go on to another person. Funny. Oh yeah. My. You sneaky. Uh huh. Well, <laughs> I had I had questions. Like there were things I needed validation or like verification for before I got went any further with my plan. So. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm excited mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about it. So, I mean, it's nothing big. It's little, but I know that it's it's something meaningful. But yeah, I had to like get some. I was like, I'm sorry. Please don't tell Christina I'm messaging you, but I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's so funny. Sneaky. Mm-hmm. Sneaky, sneaky. Very sweet lady that I spoke with. I think I know who you talk to. <laughs> I think I know who you talk to now. Hello? Missy? Missy? Oh, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> you were gone all of a sudden. You still there? Oh my gosh. You're breaking up. <sighs> Okay. Anyways, let's get back to the meat. I think it was because I navigated off the screen for a moment. Um, oh, I gotcha. But I won't do that again. Lesson learned. Gotcha. Okay. So let's 
let's get into it. All right. So this is Hellier part two, guys. Um, so when we left off last episode, um, Greg and Dana Newkirk uh, had gotten some really suspicious and mysterious emails from both a guy named David Christie um, claiming that he was seeing goblins coming out of an abandoned mine shaft at the back of his property. Um, and then shortly after getting those emails, they get an email or two from a man named Terry Rist, um, basically telling them, like, why did y'all stop when you were so close? And Terry um, Rist is the one that David Christie said referred him. Yes. To him. Yeah. So he was like, oh, we have a mutual friend, Terry Rist. And Greg's yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah. Who? What's interesting about that, um, I told Missy this already, y'all, but I was asking my own spirit guides about who David Christie and Terry Wrist were. Were these separate people that had no, you know, knowledge of one another until this phenomenon occurred? And my guides surprised me. They made me feel like Terry Wrist and David Christie are the same person. Well, you know, we got my pendulum out. Yeah. And I asked about it. Yes. And what are we did- revealing that yet or no? Yes, reveal Okay. It. My pendulum is pretty spot on for the most part. Um, my pendulum said that they are, in fact, the same person, but that they are not actually humans. Ah. So it's very men in black. Um, what is it? The What were they called? The international bankers, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Very that vibe, like very um, all seeing, like. I don't even know how to describe it. Like they, they know everything that you're doing and they can disguise themselves as different things and get in touch with you however they want to in weird ways. Yeah. And that's how they know everything that's going on. Yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What got my attention was that both David Christie and uh, Terry Wrist, both of them were urging Greg and Dana and this crew to go back to Hellier. It wasn't like, I understand why y'all stopped. Y'all probably got freaked out. It was, why did y'all stop when you were so close? Like, come back to Hellier. Um, right. Well, even like with, um, you know, I'm terrible with names, the guy from Mothman. Um, oh, John Keel. John Keel. We discussed how when he was in a situation like this, they told him, don't do this. You know, like, don't mess with this. Don't come back. Right. So it's the complete opposite, which is interesting. Right, exactly. And for those of you who don't know, um, you know, what we're talking about, about John Keel. John Keel was the investigator for Mothman in the Point Pleasant uh, tragedy when the steel bridge collapsed. And he had this theory. um, Once he started getting these letters from people claiming to be a part of the international bankers, basically like warning him to stop all of his UFO research um, or he was going to die. Mm-hmm. So it's very contrast to what Terry Rist and David uh, Christie had said in their emails originally. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so they go to Hellier, they investigate, and they end up coming back. Um, and several years later, they ended up going back to Hellier after a swarm of synchronicities pulled Greg and Dana uh, to Carl Pfeiffer. Yes. Yes. I will jump in with this if yeah. you're ready for me to. Okay. So yeah. Carl, this was, um, let's go back to April of 2016. And Carl was doing a special at the Stanley Hotel, as mm-hmm. many of you might be familiar with. And he met Greg and Dana at that time when he was like doing his little 
investigation or whatever they were doing there. Mm -hmm. Um, Two months later in June, Dana did a blog post on their website. It's called, what was it? Weird and. Oh, weird. Weak and weird. Sorry. (laughs) And um, so it was like this top five UFO kind of phenomenon thing. So he, Carl was diving into it and he noticed one that linked to this video of Greg talking about the emails that he had received in 2012 from David Christie. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, a, he saw this video, but he didn't end up actually watching it until a few months later in September of 2016. He was watching it. He became so intrigued because Greg was talking about how much it resembled the Kentucky goblins of the fifties and that whole story. And so he like put a little Twitter blast out, and Greg and him were kind of going back and forth. Well, then he also noticed that all of a sudden there was an article posted at the same time he was watching this video from the Week and Weird website. And what happens is they have it set up to where it will auto post like one of 1700 articles just randomly every week or a few times a week or something. And it happened to be a post about the Kentucky Goblins. So Carl's thinking, oh, okay. So Greg and Dana, you know, chose this goblin article to go along with, you know, what he was tweeting about. And he was like, I see what you did there. And Greg was like, "Um, we didn't do anything. We didn't post this. It's an Autobot thing. Wow. Yeah. So over the next two weeks, apparently there was this huge, like, just synchronicity blast, like that he doesn't go into detail about it. And cue to September of 2017 a year later that's when they all meet up and decide to go investigate hellier yes yep so it's interesting too um for those of y'all uh who don't know what the stanley hotel is that's the hotel that the shining was based off of Mm -hmm. and apparently they have resident paranormal investigators usually three of them within the stanley hotel always investigating at any given time So Carl Pfeiffer and Connor Randall, his friend, were two of the three resident paranormal investigators for the Stanley. And that's how they knew each other. Um, So anyway, so Greg, Dana, Carl, and Connor. um, Carl assembled um, and enlisted the help of his friend Connor because he had already worked with him before at the Stanley. Um, So they all pack up and they decide to head to Hellier and perform another investigation with a fresh set of eyes because it was almost like the phenomena woke up again once they They were being called. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It said that once they started solidifying dates for the trip, it was like everything about the case woke up again and the synchronicities started to happen again. So some of you probably are like, well, what the heck is a synchronicity? (laughs) So the definition of synchronicity is it's the simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related, but they have no discernible causal connection. Um, so like what Missy was just talking about in terms of that article that auto-populated about the Kentucky Goblins, just as they were talking about the Kentucky Goblins and Hell Your Case, it wasn't even related to them physically doing that. Like they didn't populate that article. It was, you know, some bot that did it. But out of 1,700 articles, it picked that one article that they were just talking about. And they said there were only two of those 1,700 articles that had anything to do 
with the Kentucky Goblins. That is insane. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there was a whole host of them and they just happened to. There was two articles out of 1,700 that had to do with the Goblins. And it's not like one of those Facebook things like you're thinking about something and they serve you an ad for it. This is, this is not that at all. <laughs> yeah. No. Mm-mm. I I liked um, Dana's uh, understanding of syn- synchronicities because it's pretty much what I think they are. Um, I think synchronicities just keep our minds above that autopilot um, that so many people tend to operate under on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, like most people, you know, they're in like that daily grind. They get up, they go clock into their nine to five, they come home, feed the family and, you know, chill out for a couple of hours and they go to bed. Um, but a lot of people I think are kept above that level purely based on these different synchronicities. Um, I think it also serves to help us see that we're on the right track in a particular period in our life. Um, so that's my understanding of synchronicities. Um, but anyway, so on the way to Hellier, uh, Carl starts re-listening to the Mothman prophecies by John Keel. Um, and then he starts flipping through the book, The Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts by Alan Greenfield. And pretty quickly he notices that there are big links to Hellier and to the Mothman prophecies, specifically with Indrid Cold. Um, and for those of you who don't know, um, a man named Woodrow Derenberger, uh, who was a sewing machine salesman back in the 1960s, Uh, stated that one night he was driving along the highway uh, near West Virginia. And according to him, suddenly he saw a UFO appear out of nowhere. And this UFO literally ran his car off the road, off the highway. He said a being exited the UFO, went to his passenger side window and motioned for him to roll down his window or open his door. He went over to the driver's side next to Woodrow and began uh, telepathically communicating with him, basically saying that his name was Cold, Indrid Cold. Now, this happened on November the 3rd of 1966. So as Carl's flipping through the secret cipher of the Euphonauts, he notices that Alan Greenfield wrote in his book that he theorized that this number cipher is how these ultra terrestrials communicate with us here on Earth. Ultraterrestrials are different than extraterrestrials in that extraterrestrials come from outer space. Alan Greenfield and John Keel theorized that ultraterrestrials were beings of a higher consciousness or higher awareness that were not human, but were interdimensional in nature that came from the earth. Okay, so they're not coming from outer space. They're coming from within the earth. So Terry Riss, David Christie kind of vibe. Yes. Yep. So basically in the book of the secret ciphers of the euphonauts, Terry Rist explains within that appendix that he began applying this cipher to the Mothman and Point Pleasant case. Specifically, he applied the cipher to injured Colt's name because he assumed that it was probably like a code phrase of some sort. Um, So basically um, what he comes up with and discovers based on using the cipher is what he thinks is injured Colt's present address and location where he lives. So he takes it a step further and Terry Rist goes to this location. Uh, Terry, Terry Rist does. That's what he said. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Terry Rist goes to this location and he says in this appendix that he met injured cold at his house. So Alan Greenfield poses this question to Terry Rist. He said, was injured cold a black guy? 
Um, and Terry Risk goes on to explain that there were certain types of blonde aliens that were known to be black in their ethnicity. So Terry goes on to say, yes, how did you guess that? And Alan Greenfield goes on to say that he also used this cipher of numbers and found that one of the code words for injured coal translated to ink and black. So for those of y'all who remember the email that Terry sent Greg and Dana, he said the ink and black are isolated still. And the third order is MIA. Okay. So Terry Rist agrees. He said, very good. So injured cold apparently was of the African-American descent from what he, he basically implies. In the appendix of the book, it goes on to say that the most unusual point was his claim that injured cold had been invited to take refuge on earth by the third order which is humans and post-humans who are advanced enough to qualify as Earth's representatives in space-based governments. Does that sound familiar to y'all with our recently formed Space Force in the United States? Right. Mm -hmm. right. Um, but injured Colt, whoever he is, hasn't heard from the Third Order. So basically what Carl figures out through that like weirdly worded email from Terry Rist is that basically Terry was saying uh, that Indrid Cold had not heard from the Third Order, that he was still isolated from the Third Order, and that he had not been rescued by them. Like, the Third Order had not reached out to Indrid Cold to save him from, you know, the quote-unquote evil gray aliens. Um, so the Hellier crew realizes that very quickly, their Hellier case has a direct link to Indrid Cold and the Mothman prophecies. So that's crazy in and all of itself because I need like a chart. Like I need to draw a chart in front of me. I get like, I'll listen to it and like hear it. And I've watched it obviously, but I absolutely, my, my brain's doing that, um, that meme right now or that, um, yeah. you know, where it's like <laughs> calculating above <laughs> <laughs> carry the one, <laughs> carry the one. Yes. And for anybody who, if this gets too busy for y'all, just go watch it on TV. Just go watch it. You will get so sucked in if this interests you. I mean, I tore through the two seasons in a very short amount of time. But if you have ADD like me, then you might want to take notes or yeah. watch it twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the crew, uh, basically, they get to Hallier. They arrive there and they notice the first thing that they notice about Hellier is that it totally embodies liminality. Um, and for those of y'all who don't know about liminality, um, it tends to follow the paranormal um, with a vengeance. Um, like if you've ever heard of, you know, poltergeist activity going on with either a prepubescent or pubescent teenager, that teenager is going through a stage of liminality within their own life. They're in between adulthood. They're in between being a child. Um, so it tends to follow the paranormal. Um, but basically, uh, Hellier they see is like tucked away. Um, there's actually been like a highway built over the town that was completely deserted. Like they stopped building the highway. Um, so it was like the town had been forgotten, um, by, you know, the powers that be the rest of the world. So they get into town and they post themselves at the gas station that seemed to be like the hub of the town when they were there the previous visit. 
And their goal was to talk to some locals, show them pictures of the footprints and go from there and see if they got any leads. Um, and what they found different about this visit was they weren't getting any leads this time. Whereas when they went the first time, they got tons of leads and hits. Yeah. The Everybody was talking the first time. Like they all had so many stories. I mean, it was like one after another, after another. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, the, really the only thing that they got from somebody, uh, was, you know, a gentleman came up to them and basically told them, you guys need to be super careful about who you trust and follow into these hills and hollers. Just be careful. Um, So in the meantime, they started trying to contact uh, the local law enforcement. And weirdly, uh, they couldn't get anybody from law enforcement on the phone. To me, that wasn't a super big shocker um, because I don't believe that there's any law enforcement in like these hills and hollers. They won't go up there. Um, So they left messages, but none of those were returned. They called the local TV station um, and they said that usually like people want to be a part of a paranormal case. So they'll try and think of any sort of weird story to be able to. Mm -hmm. And they said they got nowhere. No one wanted to give them anything. It was like pulling teeth. (laughs) <laughs> here's our weirdness you're like all right before you go getting into stuff where you told them not to <laughs> you. Guys, can i talk uh, about my dream real quick I, what talk about my dream real quick yeah do it uh so i literally had this dream last night that we were talking to like someone that had a podcast or a radio show or something and they were affiliated with um Greg and Dana and Carl and Connor and all of them. And like, they were going to hear this. And all of a sudden this woman got a phone call and said that Carl, it was inviting us to come to like Oregon to do some like on-site two day investigation thing. That's like super specific. Yeah. Listen, invite us, <laughs> invite us, invite us. I will make plans for childcare. We are here for it. <laughs> But no, I mean, that was really like a vivid dream. I mean, we were, there were cameras like recording us and like this microphone with the big old fuzzy thing on it. And oh, we yeah. were re- recording and they were going to hear it. And like, she got, it was a super secret like phone call and like they paid for our plane tickets and every, like it was all paid for. Like just, we need y'all out here or we want y'all to come or whatever. How weird. What? Listen, I am down. Yeah. I am. And I want to know everything <laughs> about this stuff. And I use all of their little tools and gadgets. And oh my God, what was your favorite tool and gadget of theirs? I know what yours is. I mean, I really just wasn't it. It was Connor that I forgot his name, bless his heart, yeah. that, um, that was doing most of the sessions with um, like the spirit box sessions. Yeah. God helmet he was using or was it Dana that used that? Dana used the God helmet. But the one the Essie's method were at um and he was like the one getting all the messages bless him and he saw that we're not going to get into what he saw yet because we're not there but I know. I just thought that was so cool but they you know they also had a group of people around them and not just you and I sitting on a beach at Matthews and me getting scared. Listen <laughs> love like I love anybody that does like thinking out of the box and that whole crew is like created their own methods of divination. Yeah. 
that is just fascinating. And I just think that it's so cool the work that they and, do. And they all like work like so well together. They mesh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And yeah. they like just bounce ideas off of each other. And it's just, it was just, everybody's brain was just going. And that kind of energy, like natural connecting energy is really hard to find. I know. I it, love that. <laughs> funny. There's, um, there's this uh, part in a Dolores Cannon book that talks about that when certain people get together, they will expand their knowledge and consciousness exponentially as opposed to like, you know, when you get together with certain people and it's like, like they're like surface level friends, basically, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you, you identify with that person, like on one or two things, but you're pretty much different in every other way, but yeah. there's certain people that you get around and like, they make you, you know, ask questions that you would have never asked and make you think about things in a way that you would have never thought about. And that's what I think of when I think of that whole Hellier group that investigated. Um, yeah. They learn and grow like exponentially when they're together. Yeah. It's like, they're just like recharging each other's battery. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this. Yeah, exactly. We're not fanning over here or anything, fangirling, whatever. <laughs> I just think that like, you know, I mean, as we, we've so often seen in the paranormal community, like most of the people that are famous, not all, but most in this line of work have done it in a way that's exploitive of the paranormal. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like certain shows are very, it's rough on the spirits in the show. Like, it's just very like you're there to make a TV show and to gain ratings and not be respectful of the entities that are there. And like, that's not, we won't say any names, but rhymes with Jack Haggins. Get <laughs> <laughs> my water out. <laughs> it's serious. Serious. Oh, yeah. Jack, Jack Zaggins is the Joe exotic of the paranormal community. Oh, Mac Zaggins. We're just going to keep changing his name to something else. And I'm here for it. I'm serious. I said it. <laughs> He Once I pass on into the afterlife, if he's still here, I swear I'm going to haunt him. Haunt him and definitely find some kind of lower level presence to come and really show him what a real low level entity is like. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Diving back into Hellier. So, so the crew gets in their car, um, you know, after they've tried to contact the news, after they've tried to contact law enforcement. Um, they get in their car and they try and retrace their steps to see if they could try and find David Christie's property. Now, in their original uh, visit to Hellier, they found what they thought could be his property, but David had never given them his exact address. And they couldn't show it. And that bummed me out. I know. The blurry. I'm like, I want to see it. Let I me know. see it. <laughs> I know. Well, it's interesting. Like, when they talked about the specific mile markers that he gave in the show, like, or like the specific markers of David's property, David said that there was a mine at the edge of his property. Well, pretty much everybody in Kentucky has a mine at the edge of their property. There's a shed and like, there's yeah. the, there was, you know, children's toys where they had just up and left and like Christmas lights left, yeah. you know, up and when they probably would have left and, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
tell um, after the second investigation that they realized that they still had old footage of what they thought was David Christie's house. Um, and Carl stumbled on that, apparently. But they quickly realized that every property has those markers. Um, mm-hmm. They felt like they were just kind of, you know, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Um, so they start asking locals again um, if anyone knew David Christie. <clears throat> No one knew a doctor that had lived in the area. No one knew a David Christie. Uh, the locals relay that there's been some longtime lore that at night you can hear a baby crying coming from the woods. Um, but that's really the only nibble that they got from the locals. Um, but that was even interesting in and of itself because that whole hearing a baby crying from woods, it, it comes from everywhere like so many people throughout the world report this same phenomena and it's like mm-hmm. is this elementals trying to draw you into the woods you know trying yep. to appeal to your human nature because anybody who hears a baby crying is going to want to go in that direction to get the baby out um and let me just interject real quick too if you think about it in a town this small if there is a new doctor, which David Christie apparently was, if there is a doctor of any sort in that town, I mean, he was there, what, for, was it two years or less than two years? Less than, I guess. Yeah. Either way, there yeah. are going to be people in that town that are going to know this doctor because everybody's going to use the same doctor's office. You know what I mean? It's like a real small town. They're going to know. Mm-hmm. It's not just a Joe Schmo that might work at a, you know, wherever. It's It's a doctor, like a, you know. It's not like there are 50 doctor's offices in the area. Right, right. And I agree. I totally agree. I think they would have known if there was a doctor that had settled into that area. What's interesting, too, is it's not an area that a doctor would settle into. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know of any doctor that wants to settle into a highly rural area, you know, that is within miles of your nearest neighbor. And and doctors, you know, I mean, I, I delivered an Instacart order to a doctor's house recently. Okay. I know what doctor's house is, <laughs> their caliber. Now I'm not saying he was the richest doctor in the world, but doctors make good money. And unless he was like, you know, one of those Bad. just by charity doctors, you know what I mean? Like yeah. doctors without borders or what, and they even probably make money. I don't know. But like, he's like, just to be in a traditional regular, like, Yes. House is just, unless he was super modest and. Right. But, you know, to have kids and a family in this small house that one of us would be in. Right. It's just kind of not completely heard of. And I'm not trying to stereotype at all. Right. But, you know, it's just, it is a little odd. And if you're moving somewhere to be in a doctor in a certain town, chances are you've been moved there, asked to be there, taken some kind of a, you know, I would imagine that you wouldn't just show up in a town and be like, Hey, I'd like to be a doctor here. Right. Exactly. So for that specific town too, is interesting for them to go, Hey, can you come to this small backwoods town and like, (laughs) right. You're a doctor. And that's true. Like most doctors, when they're looking to find a job, they will look for a practice that they can, you know, be a partner in, um, you know, not just randomly willy nilly, you know, put their finger on a map and <laughs> go racing into some random place. And not only that, he probably would have had the means to just move to a larger house in a different town and still practice there if that were the case. 
Right. Exactly. And not just disappear. What's interesting about doctors too, for those of y'all who have never worked with doctors, most doctors, um, if they are a part of a practice or have their own sole practice, um, but especially if they're a part of a practice, usually they have to sign like a no compete clause so that they can't practice within a certain mile range from where that particular medical office is. Not only that, they have contracts, a lot of them. Right. So think about it. Yeah. In the middle of the night, you know, and took his family, that would mean that he would have to break his contract with whatever, you know, medical practice he had been a part of. Mm -hmm. It's, it's suspect. (laughs) I feel like we're diving into a whole nother aspect that I want to know if they questioned. I'm sure they did. One of the things that Greg said was a lot of the questions that they had posed, they specifically didn't answer because they wanted us to draw our own conclusions. So I feel like they probably would have asked themselves these same things. Listen, I'm going to throw this out there again. I may or may not have messaged some of these people on Instagram and they're not messaging me back. Kind of like, Amanda and I will forgive her one day for that but I'm just like listen we want to talk to you Mm -hmm. I want to surprise my co-host and have you show up as a special guest uh, and talk to you so can you please if you ever hear this because who else is talking about Hellier at this moment in time not that they're googling Hellier I mean they were they lived part of this but like we want to talk to you so you know oh my gosh I don't know that I would even I would be so starstruck be like, can I pick your brain for the next like eight hours? <laughs> Listen, if you see, if any of you are listening and you see Dana, I'm, I, ta- I commented on your thing on TikTok one time. My name is Missy is Petty on TikTok. Don't all y'all come after me, but that's me on TikTok. And then if you see Missy Stubridge in your inbox on Instagram, it's me. Message me back. Okay, bye. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. Um, all right. So. So they basically said that, you know, after, um, you know, they had asked around with the locals, um, they started showing the locals um, pictures of the three toed footprints. Um, and they find out from the locals an interesting little tidbit. Um, they tell them that it looks like the footprints were made in what's known as slurry. And according to the locals, slurry, slurry only comes out of an abandoned mine that has been blown out. Um, and apparently like when old mines have been blocked off, um, you know, for a period of time, um, eventually it'll fill up with water and this water will cause such pressure that it will blow out the barrier of the mouth of the mine, pouring this like sooty watery black substance onto the ground, which is known as slurry. Um, so that lended validity to the footprints also. Um, they thought that that really added, um, a little bit more, uh, validation to that. Right. So the locals suggest to the crew that they find a property with an old mine shaft that has slurry coming out of the mine and specifically maybe one as wide as what was shown in the pictures of the footprints, even though it was several years ago, that was a starting point that they could try and narrow the search down a bit more. So they, you know, they take the advice. Um, Dana, who is a longtime hedge witch, um, also mentioned to the group that once they arrived to Hellier, they wanted to perform a small ritual um, with the nature spirits and elementals, basically making an offering to the spirits, stating their intentions clearly, um, 
that, you know, they wanted to speak with them, get to know them better. And that if those spirits wished to help them, they were open to communicating with them. You did that at Matthew's, didn't you? We brought stuff to the beach. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we mm-hmm. got that time, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty soon after they, you know, state their intentions and do this ritual, they start hearing like wooden knocking sounds coming from the woods. Um, and it happened almost instantly after they finished. Um, they started feeling like they were being watched, which is super common in paranormal investigating um, and just paranormal in general. Uh, that can be a definite indicator of some sort of lower uh, vibratory spirit in your presence. Um, the seemed to ramp up from there. Uh, once the group returned to the porch, they noticed that objects like stones were being thrown from the wood line towards the porch. Um, but they ended up doing uh, several Estes. For those of you who don't remember or know what the Estes method is, um, we've done this in Ghosties already. Uh, but basically what you do is you are creating a sensory deprivation tank. Um, you take noise-canceling headphones um, and put them over your ears. You put a blindfold over your eyes. You want to block out any sort of external sensory that you could receive that could cloud any sort of responses. But you feed into your earphones um, an SB7 spirit box, which is this rapid firing uh, through different radio stations. And as it fires, words will pop up that are discernible to you. So basically what they did was anytime Connor heard a word that was discernible to him, he would speak it out out loud and the group would then collectively start asking him questions and seeing if those answers started lining up with their questions and they did um and anyone who has watched us do the estes method um you will know what we're talking about it's basically just a way to take away anything from the external that could possibly be influencing you in that situation And if you have not seen our sessions, then go find the Ghosties podcast on YouTube. And we have some videos that are like a year old on there. But we're going to do another one soon for the episode that I'm in charge of that Christina doesn't know about. Anyway, continue. Um, So what's interesting is there's like this whole argument that alien communication and abduction doesn't really happen in the physical sense, that it happens within our mind. Um, So during the Estes method, um, it, it, there was all these little different, you know, Easter eggs that were yielded. But one of them in particular, Connor said 48 minutes at the very end of their session. He said 48 minutes. That ties into a later phone call later that night. Um, so in the meantime, uh, they paid a visit to the property surveyor's office um, to see if they could find a record of David Christie ever living in Hellier. And they found zero record of a David Christie ever living in Hellier. Uh, Greg and Dana also decided to go to Pikeville, which was a neighboring town, to start asking around with the locals to see if anyone knew about the story and about David Christie. Um, And again, in that clerk's office, they find that there has never been a David Christie in Pikeville or in Hellier. But after talking to some more of the locals, many of the locals started reporting to them that they would see a UFO floating in the air for several minutes, you know, on particular occasions. So long, like the UFO would be floating in the air for so long that eventually they would get bored and just go about their business. <laughs> what have you heard? 
that's what I want to know. When have you heard a story like that? Oh, Never. Yeah. UFO like hovering in the air and you know, it was up there for so long. We just went about our business. What? <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> no. Um, so again, there seems to be like this paranormal component that it's interesting. Like, it's almost like these phenomena are really happening so often to these people of this community that they've almost become like desensitized to it almost, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, a paranormal compu- component to this case that has remained constant is that people are having paranormal encounters that they can't explain. And so often, in fact, that they don't always pay attention to them as much as others would because they happen on such a frequent basis. And this was something that they also noticed in uh, Point Pleasant during the Mothman, uh, you know, activity. Things were happening on such a frequent basis that I think many people got desensitized to the, you know, the issue at hand. Hello. <laughs> God's sake. Goodness gracious. We've been trying to get back to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> None of the links would go through to Missy. It was a whole thing. Oh, and then you sent the one via messenger and it was like, your browser doesn't support your microphone use. And I'm like, oh, so I had to like go back in and select the app. And it's just a whole thing. For God's sakes. All right, let's get through this. <laughs> All right, so... Oh, look, your messages are coming through now. I'm not even kidding. What? One, your messages are coming through right now. For the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now the Hellier crew, um, they had a longstanding appointment with one of the local gas station attendants named Tammy. So while meeting with Tammy, uh, they also had an encounter... Um, Excuse me. They also encounter other locals who relay strange stories about seeing weird things painted on the walls within the caves locally. Specifically, one person reported seeing a painting of Chief Cornstalk, who was a direct link to Mothman and Point Pleasant. It's said that Chief Cornstalk cursed Point Pleasant and the surrounding area. So that's a theory that perhaps the curse is responsible for Mothman and Point Pleasant. So this same local says, without being prompted, that there is a local cave um, that he had seen three-toed footprints in um, back in the 80s, just like David's pictures that had been given to Greg and Dana. So at this point, it made me wonder whether this local that they were conversing with, whose name was Joey, had some link to David Christie or David or to David Christie or Terry wrist, I really started having this feeling like, is it really a synchronicity or does this dude have a connection to them in some way? It gave me this feeling like these two characters were creating these small, like walk on extra moments. If that made sense, almost Mm -hmm. like that dude was just there to interact with the group, to know that he interacted with the group knowing that he was involved, but knowing he would never share that with them, if that makes sense. It's kind of like our little angel guy from Hollywood Cemetery. He was yeah. just there to, yeah. Um, so randomly after the crew gets back to their cabin, um, 
about an hour after talking to this local Joey, Joey calls Connor and tells him randomly that he ran into the man that was there with him when they found the three-toed footprints within that local cave. So we ended up giving him this guy's information and their contact info so that they could speak with them. But this is just another example of these like super random synchronicities that happen throughout this case. Um, like the footprint that he was talking about finding uh, in this local cave he found in the 1980s. So here they are in the year, you know, what was it? 2016, 27, no, 2017. Yeah, they're 2017 and somehow or another a link to the 1980s to a three toed footprint in a cave. Like that's mm-hmm. crazy. So later that night, Greg gets a text from his friend, Tyler Strand, um, who was a paranormal investigator himself and a friend of theirs. Um, But he had texted him saying that he had a breakthrough about their goblins case. And this is while they're in Hellier. Okay. So Tyler goes on to say that he thinks there's a huge connection to injured cold Mothman and Point Pleasant to their Kentucky goblins case. Another huge synchronicity because they hadn't shared with Tyler all that they had been found or all that they had found um, already tying Point Pleasant and Mothman to the Kentucky Goblins case. So Tyler just randomly mentions that he had just come from the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant and he met a man there that was interested in cryptozoology, but specifically monsters that live in caves. So much so that this guy had written a book of nothing but strange uh, like encounters and reports from people that had seen like monsters and caves. So another synchronicity when they hang up with Tyler, they had been on the phone with him for 48 minutes and 48 seconds, just like the 40 <laughs> minutes that Connor had referenced in their Estes method session earlier that evening. Yep. So that's where I'm going to stop. So as y'all can see, there's a whole bunch of really weird synchronicities and coincidences in this whole case. And they said that it got to the point that these synchronicities were so frequent that it started to feel like cosmic teasing, almost like someone up there was teasing them. They said it got to the point where they couldn't even talk about how you're without their ears ringing. Mm-hmm. I love this. I do too. This is like one of my favorite paranormal stories. I want a little nugget like that. Like I don't want to have to go across the country or like, you know, 20 hours away to like investigate, but that would be cool if we got a little fun weirdness around the area. I know. I feel like Matthews might be a little mini version of this. It is. And the thing is we have to go back. Um, And honestly, at this point, we probably really could. I would just have to be on a weekend, and it would have to be when the boys go to bed. Cool. Because what's very cool, I don't know if, I mean, this is in a year. We are coming up on our year anniversary, and I think it's like December 11th or something. Yeah. Or 9th. Isn't that crazy? I know. It's almost a year old. Are. Mm -hmm. If December, I don't remember, what day was it? Do you remember the exact date? I think it was the ninth. The ninth? Mm-hmm. And that's on Thursday, right? 10th, 11th? Yeah. Cause, yes. Because Mike's birthday is on the 12th and it's a Sunday. The ninth. I think we should record that day. Yeah. Yeah. And it should be a little special, a little special recording day. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, anyways, what I was going to say a year ago, we went to Matthew. Oh my gosh, it's been a year. We went to Matthew's, if not longer, it's been a year and a half. No, not a year and a half. Yes. Because mm-hmm. we went in the summer of 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My God. I know. <laughs> what month is it? Um, so my mother-in-law, and I think we've talked about this before, she actually lives legit, like, what, 10, 15 minutes away from Old House Woods? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we could go. It's just, like we've said before, nighttime exploration there seems a little unsafe to me. Um, not only for things that aren't living, but things that are living. Yeah. <laughs> I, think so I don't know how we feel about that. I would go in the dark is that beach. Oof. I think I would go there in the dark, but I don't know. I would if I- not drive through there in the dark. That's a thing though, because once you're there, you got to drive back out and Lord have mercy. That yeah. place is a whole vibe. If y'all haven't been there, maybe we'll try to record some footage um, because you know, and even what we could do is, I mean, I don't know. It depends. It depends on if it's a weekend that Mike's out there with me or not. So I was going to say, we, it gets dark so early. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it's still light out, do some stuff and then be there for when it gets dark. But I don't know. what. Well, that's another conversation. Yeah. We'll figure happen, it out. Though. We'll figure it out. All right, y'all. So this was Hellier Part 2. We will continue with Part 3, what, next week? We might as well. Um, in the meantime, send us your um, stories, your ghost stories, your alien stories, your cryptid stories, your weird synchronicity stories. We'll take some of those right now. It's the perfect time. Yes. Yes. Just those. Um, ghostiespodcast at gmail.com. Sorry, the ghostiespodcast at gmail.com. Send it to our inbox on Facebook or Instagram. Hit us up. Uh, follow us on TikTok. Um, check us out on YouTube. Yep. And that's it. Yep. We'll catch y'all next week. <laughs> hey, bye. Bye.